Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Welcome to a brand new episode of the Geek Buddies. <gasps> hey. Hey. Oh, I forgot. Hey. Sorry, Roka's got Roka's got workers in the house. We all have to be really quiet. <laughs> I forgot. <laughs> we literally did this yesterday, and I forgot. <laughs> That's all right. That's all right. Yeah. Welcome, everybody, to this episode of the Geek Buddies. We appreciate you all hanging out with us or listening to us, as you can always download us on our podcast feed in case you don't want to see our pretty faces. Uh, but we had so much to get into in the world of geekery, and I will absolutely apologize ahead of time. I've got some great workers here in the house who are putting in air conditioning into the house for the first time ever, central air. So if you hear some knocking, hear some noises, hear some drilling, please excuse. I will try to mute it as much as possible, but hey, I'm not going to stop them because we need air conditioner in this place. So, uh, But yeah, we're going to talk about all things going on in the world. Yes, go ahead. Yes. There's a big difference from when we picked you up at Comic-Con last year. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You said you, you, you and the Lady Outlaw were like, we love not having NC. We open up the windows, get that breeze. It's great. And me and Shannon and Kalinowski left and said, I think they need air conditioning. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. Yeah, the owner of the house was very kind to uh, tell us he wanted to put it in. Him and her wanted the, the owners want to put it in. So we were like, "Yes, please, yes, please." So it's a small price to pay for us getting some nice, uh, comfortable existence in the summer because it gets hot down here in San Diego. Speaking of hot, we got a lot of hot topics to talk about today for sure. Bang, bang, bang. We got to get into some big conversations about Doctor Strange's future in the Marvel universe. Come Benedict Cumberbatch revealing that we're going to get some more projects with him as a Doctor Strange. We're also going to get into these sky-high budgets on films and what it means now is we've seen quite a number of financial failures or flops or uh, box office bombs, whatever term you want to use, are quite not hitting the expectations here at the box office. We'll get into that as our main topic. We're going to talk a little news about uh, Zack Snyder's version of Star Wars, a little more got uh, as he's got Rebel Moon coming out. He revealed some more of that. And we're going to talk a little bit about the Joel Schumacher gun. I went into Jiminy Glick, and we're going to talk about the Schumacher gun. Is it real? Is it going to happen? We'll see, but we're going to get into all of that here on this episode of the Geek Buddies. But let's introduce ourselves. I am the outlaw, John Rooker, writer, producer, and host here on the channel. I am Michael Vogel. I'm a writer and producer of animated TV shows and movies and a big Jiminy Glick fan. And uh, now I know what I want Johnny to be for Halloween. <laughs> and this is Shannon McClung. I'm an animation writer and a television actor where you can see some of our current work right now on Netflix with Strawberry Shortcake, Barry and the Big City Seasons 1 and 2. And ju- next week, I believe, yeah. right, Vogel? Season yep. 3. Uh, Strawberry Shortcake is going to be dropping on YouTube. Do I have this? Yeah. Does that work? Does that work for, is that, for is that? that? Is that the Barry yeah. alarm? Is it the Barry alarm? There we go. Season three. <laughs> oh, Barry in the big city. There you go. 
Uh, anyway, you can tell it's Friday and our pants are down. All right, we're going to get into so much here. So I think, Shannon, you're going to start us off. Where are we going into the world of Marvel ma- movie magic? Well, you can't keep a good sorcerer down. Benedict Cumberbatch <laughs> was on Alan Howard's JW3 speaker series and was asked what projects he had, uh, what projects he had coming down the pipe. And uh, Benedict Cumberbatch did say there are some Marvel capers in the making next year. He wouldn't say what. Uh, we don't know if this is a third Doctor Strange film. It doesn't seem like it. Or whether he's going to be popping up in another Marvel film. So in terms of what is coming, you know, we know Captain America is pretty much done shooting. Deadpool 3 still filming. And pausing, or excuse me, filming has been paused on Thunderbolts and Blade. And also, allegedly, Fantastic Four might be shooting next year as well. So there are plenty of opportunities for the Sorcerer Supreme to pop up. But gentlemen, um, what do you think uh, Doctor Strange is going to be popping up in? And after the Multiverse of Madness, are you excited about it? Personally, I like Benedict Cumberbatch's Doctor Strange, despite the fact that I got a a bad multiverse taste in my mouth right now. But Johnny, what do you think? I love this idea. I liked Benedict Cumberbatch as uh, as Doctor Strange. I've enjoyed him since the first movie. Yeah, that Multiverse of Madness wasn't the best film, but that wasn't because of him. I think just overall, that's not me having a joy of the Sam Raimi approach to these to the Doctor Strange film. And there are rumors that he might be coming back for Doctor Strange 3, which really makes me want to slam my head through a wall. But the idea that he's going to be included in these movies coming up, he's going to be an important part, that tells you that Marvel really sees him as a tentpole person now with all these people who have left over the last few years with Robert Downey Jr., Scarlett Johansson, supposedly, um, and all these other people, uh, Chris Evans, what have you. These older pillars have left. Doctor Strange has been in comeback, coming, uh, coming in a little bit later in the, after the MCU has been launched and the Avengers were launched. So him coming in as kind of an older actor, you need that stability. A guy who's been able to uh, win awards and uh, been uh, um, uh, been beloved for his abilities as an actor. I think it's a smart move to have him as a stabilizing force in the MCU. And uh, I, I don't know what movie he'd be in next year um, in terms of speculation, but I know that there's rumors that there's a big storyline with Doctor Strange that is possibly coming as well here down the bike, and we shall see if they actually do it. Uh, Mike, what do you think about this? Do you like that Doctor Strange might be uh, sticking around here in the MCU? Yeah, I mean, of course, look, I do not like Multiverse of Madness. Um, It's not my fave, but I think he's great. I think, um, again, Marvel phases one, two, and three, one of the big wins they had was just inspired casting from Robert Downey Jr. on down and Benedict Cumberbatch kind of is the perfect Doctor Strange. So the fact that, and and just given to your point, given that Iron Man is dead, Cap is retired, uh, Black, oh, Black Widow is dead, uh, there's, you know, there's a gap in who the Avengers are at this point. I don't think anybody quite knows. And Doctor Strange is as senior a member of the superhero universe as anybody is. So the fact that he's going to be around and popping up is great. Uh, I think that um, I'd put my, if we're talking movies, I think his most likely appearances would be Fantastic Four and Blade if and when they get it together. I think uh, if the Marvel Universe is going big into mystical things like vampires, it makes sense that Doctor Strange could show up there. Fantastic Four, I just think, is going to be a super important... um, If they get it right, it is going to be the thing that holds the Marvel Universe together going forward. And Doctor Strange showing up for that makes sense. 
I think the most likely place that he's showing up is in Agatha Harkness's Coven of Chaos. Right, right. Um, I think that, uh, you know, I don't think that that's going to be a Wanda-centric story particularly, although I think Wanda's kids are going to be a big part of that story, or at least one of them. Um, But I think that if you have a Coven of Chaos, and Patti LuPone was all over The View talking about all the witches that were going to be in the show, I think that... uh, Stephen Strange is probably going to want to get involved in that. So I think that's one of the most likely places that we're going to see him. Patty LuPone. She's the badass. Uh, Shannon, uh, go ahead. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I do think Vogel's right in terms of the things that are coming down, coming down the pipe. I mean, Blade leaning into more of that supernatural world. The last time we saw Stephen Strange, he and Clea were, you know, going yeah. off, it looked like, to the dark dimension. Right. Um, you know, and in the world, in the Marvel Cinematic Universe we have right now, we you know we don't have we don't have vampires. Yeah. So it is is the inclusion of Blade going to be um a part of the universe we know, or is this a multiverse thing? Also, the idea that you know Stephen Strange put, potentially broke a little bit of the multiverse we have deadpool 3 who you know that is supposed to be another multiversal tale i don't know i mean i think coven of chaos is probably Mm. in terms of magic i mean that's that seems like the easiest bet but also we don't know how the fantastic four are actually going to be introduced yet i mean and if is if that is another multiversal thing i don't know i mean i could see sort of a reticence in their first big movie throwing in someone a science movie throwing in a magical character. Like, it's like, ah, you know. Well. Well, no, go ahead. Well, Fantastic Four, if and when they show up, just given the direction that these phases are going in and that we are in the multiverse arc, Reed Richards is the guy that cracks the multiverse. I mean, he just is. He's the smartest guy in the Marvel Universe. So to your point, since the last thing we saw was Doctor Strange and Clea jumping jumping into the multiverse to stop incursions from happening... Doctor Strange and the Fantastic Four jumping into each other, it's not a science and magic thing. It's we're dealing with the multiverse thing. So I think there's a high likelihood that that happens. And just really point of clarification on the Blade front of things, like the Marvel Universe, ever since this past Halloween, we've got a man thing, we've got werewolves, we've got also Bloodstone. So we've... We've definitely got supernatural things in our world. Right. Um, I don't think you necessarily need to jump to another universe for vampires. So I think that sure. given everything that they've established thus far, uh, those all those things can be contained in the universe if done right. Yeah. Kind of to your point, if done wrong, it's going to feel like a mishmash. And well, given where Marvel's been lately, <laughs> could go either way. <laughs> and i want to bring this up because this dropped on uh twitter that's the rumor i'm not confirming in any way shape or form that this is true but this is it about kathleen twitter. kennedy no it's not about kennedy. <laughs> we're staying away from that we're staying away from that yahoo you sons of bitches but this is a doctor strange update there's rumors the mcu is setting up a triumph and torment adaptation with the introduction of mephisto which will make mikey happy and cynthia von doom the comic follows dr doom and dr strange trying to free the soul of Dr. Doom's mother from Mephisto. Um, and that's part of this whole thing. Uh, so could that be the way they go with Dr. Strange in the next one as we're talking about him? Uh, uh, you know, um, well, more mystical stuff going and Dr. Doom being connected to Fantastic Four. Do we introduce Dr. Doom in a backwards way in this way? I don't know. Well, Dr. Doom is also connected to... to- Doctor Doom, Doc, yeah, Doctor Doom and Doctor yeah. Strange. I was like, yeah. a lot of lot of medical professionals in the Marvel universe. <laughs> a lot of MDs. Uh, Doctor Doom and Doctor Strange are also very much connected in the more recent Secret Wars. Oh right, yes, uh, very much series, so. yeah. which I think is to your point, 
And again, to the point of Doctor Strange showing up in Fantastic Four and where they're going to be using Doctor Strange. If you yeah. go and just use that Secret Wars miniseries uh, that came out, you know, however, the, not the original, but the next one that came out several years ago, um, Doctor Doom is the guy that recreates the shattered multiverse into battle world yeah. and dr strange is kind of his right hand guy because he needed to be there to try and like keep some semblance of dr doom going totally crazy so there is a oh we need to get dr doom and dr strange together in the mcu how are we going to do that possibility there if you just go read uh the hickman arc of uh, secret wars mm, yeah that's fun. what do you think shannon <sighs> You know, I mean, that that's what I was thinking when you initially brought it when when Secret Wars was brought up yeah, was, yeah, yeah. you know, they are, you know, for most of Strange's appearance, they're allies. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it seems like that's a that's a big stretch to get there in a short amount of time. But I don't know. It'll be really interesting to see how they actually adapt that storyline, because yeah. the way it is presented in the comics now, I mean, it is going to be very it's going to be very different. Um, but it was really good. So, I mean, you I know, mean, they have done in the past a really good job of adapting, using comic storylines in their in the MCU way. And yeah. uh, I'll be curious to see how this how this pans out. I, I think if Doctor Strange, this ver the MCU version of Doctor Strange. And again, I know that we're all about Kang right now, but I, I think once you bring Doctor Doom in, Kang and Doctor, either Kang or Doctor Doom could be the one that takes over. And given what's going yeah. on with Jonathan Majors, maybe Doom steps forward a little bit before they thought that he was going to. So we'll yeah. see how that goes out. But I think that this version of Do Doctor Strange, if faced with the entire multiverse is collapsing. Everything is going to end. Yeah. And the only way that I see fit to hold on to a shred of reality and a shred of hope is yeah. to team up with Dr. Doom, who is the other most powerful sorcerer that's going to be coming along. And they like, I could totally see some version of that making sense uh, mm -hmm. down the road as we get through uh, phase five into phase six. Okay. All right. Fair enough. Shannon, mm -hmm. anything more on this? Well, I mean, he did say Marvel capers, you know, in the making next year. So yeah, that yeah. leads me to believe that it's probably not played, that it's, you know, something that is not shooting yet, which would be fantastic for. So, oh, yeah. I don't know. We'll, we'll see. We'll see. We'll see. Um, all right. Let's move on uh, to Michael, your story. You've got something going on with Zack Snyder. Of all people, you're introducing this story. Interesting. Yeah, <laughs> I'm going to introduce this story. So, uh, yeah, um, D Zack Snyder, our good buddy, everybody's favorite guy, mm. creator of the DC Snyderverse, you know um, was talking to Empire Magazine about, among other things, his uh, two-part space opera, Rebel Moon, that's hitting yeah. Netflix. And uh, a lot of people have described Rebel Moon as the result of Zack Snyder's failed Star wars pitch to mm. lucasfilm so he kind of went into a little bit more detail about that uh and you know just saying after 300 and watchmen and doing everything and post-production on man of steel was wrapped up he went to disney after they had purchased lucasfilm and he was one of the people that pitched his take on star Wars on star wars yeah. so he uh he said it was you know with his sort of description of what it was he said it was seven samurai in space. I knew that the origins of George Lucas were a lot of the Kurosawa films uh, and the sale of Disney to Lucasfilm had just happened. So there was this window where anything was possible. So I was like, I don't want to use any of your classic characters. I don't want to do anything with any known characters. I just want to do my own thing on the side and it should be rated R, which he knew was almost a non-starter, knew it was a big ask, but the deeper he got into it, he realized that version of his Star Wars was probably never going to happen. And 
it didn't. But uh, eventually, I think it kind of did lead to what this rebel moon is because, and you know, we covered this a little bit, but mm. when you talk about uh, rebel moon, you know, it's about a young woman living on a peaceful colony on the outskirts of the galaxy, galaxy given the task of finding warriors who can fend off an impending invasion by a despotic yeah. ruler. So you just flip a couple of those words around and it's someone trying to find a bunch of people to help her fight a rebellion against the empire. And you could see where Zack Snyder was probably going with things. Yeah. So here's the two things. Here's why I wanted to cover the story because I usually, when we do, when we do a Zack Snyder thing, I tell you all the things that annoy me about Zack Snyder, but here's the two things that I think are really, really cool about what he said about his take on Star Wars. Somebody write this time down. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. One. <laughs> yes. And look, it's not like it's like nobody else knows that George Lucas was heavily inspired by Akira Kurosawa, but really just yeah. going right to the heart of it and going, I'm going to do Seven Samurai in space. Like that's, that's getting right to the heart of like what George Lucas was building. And I think yeah, yeah. sometimes with a giant franchise and you look at, you know, a lot of people, enjoyed force awakens when it came out a lot of mm -hmm. people also agree that jj abrams did a new hope and just kind of copied it and what Zack snyder was doing was not that yeah. and i think that's interesting and i and i think it's ballsy to go in and pitch a rated r star wars like you know that's what rogue one originally was and definitely that got pulled back a little bit but i yeah. think going in guns blazing and saying let's do something different is great. It's one of the things that I do like about Zack Snyder, because I know that we're going to talk in our main topic in a little bit about what's going on. Why are people not going to the box office? Yeah. And I think it is because there is this lack of let's just throw caution to the wind, take our pants off and run screaming into the night and do what the fuck we want to do. And let's Ooh. see if audiences go with us. Oh. And I think Zack Snyder has always been a little bit of that for better or for worse. Yeah. Uh, and so I give him credit, even if sometimes his end results leave me a little bit nonplussed. Yeah. All right. Fair. Shane, what thought. do you guys, what do you guys do? You, would you guys have been into this Zack Snyder star Wars doesn't work for the universe. Interesting, but glad we're getting it in rebel moon instead. Like, where do you guys land on this? I mean, based off of his track record with original stuff. And so mainly I'm talking sucker punch. Um, and, and that's probably a little unfair. Um, but that's where, that's where my head goes based off of his sort of, you know, his take on original stuff. It's sort of like, ah, I, I'm not, I'm not so sure. Now I thought army of the dead was a lot of fun. I didn't think it was great. I think it went on too long. Um, but I feel like Zack Snyder is someone when he's handed a good script, like he is. He is such a visually dynamic director. He's really good at taking something that's on the page and putting it on the screen. Yeah. Now, he, so, you know, like with Watchmen, you, for some folks, get a uh, an overly faithful adaptation of the comic in <laughs> that you literally just took the comic and put it here. I mean, you, you changed out the squids, yes. But that's maybe one of the reasons it did not maybe like the box office on fire. It's like, this is... This is literally what we had here, sort of uh, being a little slavish to the material. Um, but again, Sucker Punch was just so, for me, just, you know, off the map. I don't know. I mean, uh, watching that behind the scenes clip that we had our, that we had covered a couple of weeks ago. Again, visually, it's stunning. I yeah. mean, I think I think he's got a good cast. I think it's all going to come down to is the story he's telling compelling. And, you know, again, as to Vo as to Vogel's point, like that's a big swing going in and pitching an R-rated Star Wars movie, especially yeah. after Disney had just purchased them. Um, but look, I mean, you know, Zack Snyder has given us some exciting times in the movie theater. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm hopeful that this is good, but I also feel like his, 
his type of storytelling needs to be seen on the big screen. So mm. it'll I'll be curious to see how Rebel uh, Rebel Moon actually works out. I mean, if you think about Zack Snyder, I mean, we always pick on the bad stuff. And yes, if you think bat look, Batman versus Superman was a big swing. Yeah. I think most of us agree. Yeah. That sadly. It didn't hit the ball. It was just a really big swing. But what he did back in the day with the remake of Dawn of the Dead, like he yeah. made a very compelling, cool zombie movie. And 300 was also a very big swing. And yeah. we all went to the movie theater to see it. And we're like, holy shit. Like the reason that Zack Snyder got to the point where Zack Snyder is and can do the things he does now is he took big swings. Now, you're right about like Sucker Punch. I do not like that movie. No. On many levels, I do not like that movie. Yeah. But it is also a very, very big swing. It reminds me a little bit about um, there was an article about the Wachowskis a long time ago mm -hmm. and talking about them as directors. And, you know, The Matrix was a big swing and Speed Racer was a big swing and Jupiter Ascending was a big swing. Like they are also Cloud guilty. Yeah. Uh, Cloud Atlas, big swing. They are also guilty of some pretty big misfires. Yeah. But the article made the point, and I think Zack Snyder does fall into this category, whether I like him to or not, of given where we're at in Hollywood, and I think some of the reasons, again, why I think some of these big box office uh, movies coming out are not connecting with audiences, I think we need some of these people that make the big swings, even if they make really, really bad ones sometimes. Yeah, and he was being interviewed for Empire Magazine. I'm going to bring up the pictures here. These are fantastic shots here. Like, this is a great cover for to promote your film and promote your magazine, of course. And then this shot here is super cool as well, and it's signed there by uh, Paul Shipper, who did the, the cover for it. So you're getting the vibe that he really wants this to work. Do I think Rebel Moon is going to work? I don't know. Uh, uh, I don't see anybody in the cast that's going to – put eyes on it, but who knows? The Mother with Jennifer Lopez is one of the highest-rated Netflix films, so who knows uh, what, how that's going to go down and, and whatever on, on screen. But to me, I love this pitch, but I think, Shannon, you hit it. It was too early in the process for this kind of a pitch. Kathleen had instincts to be this bold, which is why I think she hired certain directors and then, of course, moved away from those directors when certain things didn't work out. So what we see with Andor, I think now if he was to pitch it, because there are there is a large section of the Star Wars universe that liked it or eventually liked Andor and this more adult approach to Star Wars, it doesn't mean you have to walk away from the pew, pew, pew stuff at all or from the you know great emotional uh, uplifting stuff that you see in the original trilogy and, element, and sometimes in the sequel trilogy and in the prequel trilogy. But I would say that this could be a great time. This would have been a great time to kind of explore this with Zach because it's a one-off, right? And it's going to be on its own thing. You could pitch it in a way that it doesn't have to connect up to the lore of the mythology of any of the characters. He wanted them to all be new characters. And what is Taika Waititi's pitch? They're all new characters. They're all someplace else. They all don't have anything to do with anything. What is Mangold's thing? It's all the beginning of the Jedi. So it's got nothing to do with anything you've seen before other than establishing the tenets of what was to come, but it's going to be all new characters in the past. So it would have been the perfect time now to explore this. And I think people would have been excited. Yeah, there would have been the Star Wars fans who've been upset about it, and I get it. But there would have been enough fans, I think, that would have been excited to see what a Zack Snyder's approach to a seven samurai version of Star Wars with Jedi or with warriors of different kinds 
what that would do because of course we know star wars is a western and sam so we know that so it would be <laughs> to see zach bring that element to it uh with, but i think we're going to get that anyway in the filoni film which is essentially going to be everybody coming together against the empire you know soka sabine ezra I mean, probably uh bo katan mando all those people getting to that would be great because we've never seen a star wars movie where everybody came together against the empire before that'll be uh, something fresh and different that's not what I meant. You know, it's not what I meant. But all right. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. They did come against the Empire. <laughs> and look, don't get me wrong. I just want to be, I just want to clarify. Result. I just want to be clarified. I give Zack Snyder a lot of credit for the pitch. I am still very happy that Zack Snyder is not touching Star Wars and that he, and that we have Rebel Moon over here and that we can watch it and say, okay. <laughs> and I, if I think yeah. Rebel Moon is the greatest thing I've ever seen on Netflix, I'll say maybe he should have done a Star Wars. But for now, I'm glad that we're doing this over here. Like, let Zack Snyder take this big swing over here and i think kathleen kennedy was probably right at the time to say zach this is great we love you not 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 our jam not yet not yet not yet uh, lucas might have done it anyway all right let's uh let's take a quick break and then we'll jump into our next topic here and of course rebel moon is coming out what later this year uh, on netflix uh, right shannon yeah yeah that's what i gotta clarify right, <laughs> december right back right after Hello, Geek Buddies fans. Before we jump into today's episode, let's give a warm thank you to our sponsor, Marquee TV. Their support is why we're able to bring this podcast to you. Marquee TV isn't just any streaming service. They're your gateway to an incredible world of arts and culture. That's right, Johnny. I've explored Marquee TV, and I've been amazed by their vast library of performances, exclusive interviews, and behind-the-scenes content. It is a treasure trove for any arts and culture lover. Right now, I'm in the middle of watching the Royal Shakespeare Company's production of the Tempest, and I've also got my eye on that Shakespeare masterclass taught by Dame Judi Dench. Yeah, Shannon, and speaking of the RSC, I watched Christopher Eccleston's performance of Macbeth last night, and I'm going to jump into Kit Harington's performance of Henry V from the Donmar Warehouse. Imagine having the world's most breathtaking ballets, dramatic theater productions, and magical operas at your fingertip. That's the experience Marquee TV offers, making the arts accessible wherever you are. And we've got a special treat for our listeners. Marquee TV offers three months of access for just 99 cents that's right three months for only 99 cents with the code buddies b-u-d-d-i-e-s simply visit marquee.tv and use the promo code buddies to dive into the world of arts like never before bring the arts home with marquee tv get three months for just 99 cents visit marquee.tv to start your journey into the world of arts now use code buddies explore the extensive library of performances on marquee tv today and keep up with the latest in art streaming by following at marquee tv on social media Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. 
Rebel Moon. It started out as a Star War. Its budget might make Netflix poor. We'll find out in December. Oof. Oh. Oh, oh. <laughs> oh, I'm really happy with how this is going. Where did you get that? <laughs> had that thing, had that thing waiting for a while. It's my new. Uh, you you have your soundboard. I do. I, I do. do it old school. I'm like, oh, Shannon's got a joke. <laughs> oh, I wish you'd been here for the secret invasion review. Oh. Oh, oh I Please. heard about the, it. The gravity, it's the best. Anyway, <laughs> all right, so let's move on. <clears throat> I, I wanted to pick this show, uh, this topic rather, to talk about today on the show because I I love this idea. Um, I know there, that uh, we've had the Zack Snyder burst and we had the Snyder cut and the fact that it actually came to fruition is a little bit of a minor miracle and the fact that it even turned out well for the most part for mo- more, a, a lot of the fans feel like Zack Snyder's Justice League is better than the uh, Joss Whedon Justice League. Um, I wasn't a fan of people coming up with cuts for everything, right? But there are certain ones that actually spark my curiosity and kind of bubbling bubbling under the surface. I know there was the air cut. Uh, There's rumors about a four-hour cut of one of the most recent films that have come out. But this idea that there is a possible Schumacher cut really got me going in my mind that this is something that could be happening here and we've had a number of people speak about it including akiva goldsman who says the only bit of post-production that's needed is an image restoration before it can be released the score needs to be for batman schumacher for batman forever yeah for batman forever yes sorry sorry the score yeah nobody wants to see Batman anyway all right yes batman forever i'll clarify that uh, the only bit of post-production needs to, that's needed is an image restoration before it can be released. The score needs to be added as well, according to David Gonzalez. Most of the score in the cut is filler of Old Elfman 89 Returns and a piece of Pee Wee's Big Adventure score that we use, that was used for the intro for Edward. But there's a lot here to get me excited about what we might be seeing here in this particular cut. And I I wonder what you guys think on this because there's there was a little more speculation here uh, from um, uh, from Goldsman on. It. He said I saw the uh, the writer I saw the Schumacher cut recently, and it's funny because there's been a swell on the internet for it, and I stay out of it mostly. Although it's got about thirty five percent more psychological realism in it, you know, it's really more about guilt and shame. But the preview audience didn't want it; the world wasn't ready. Joel's first cut had all of it in, and the audience was like, yeah, we just like the part where the guy's funny and he's scary and the big thing. And so it got cut down into it got cut down into what it is, and it was cool. Uh, and then they would ask they asked if he would like to see it happen at some point, if nothing else, as a tribute to Schumacher. And Goldsman said, No, no, no. That this was two administrations ago or one and a half. It exists, you know, and I'm certainly an advocate for it being in the world. Just for Joel, you know, because he died and he died quietly. You know, there wasn't a lot of honoring him, and it would be a nice way to honor him, I think. And I think he'd get a kick out of seeing it. So, or out of it, rather. So, uh, some of the notable scenes that were cut were, in, were a sequence that involved Tommy Lee Jones's Two-Face escaping from Arkham Asylum at the start, an extended version of the Riddler's attack on the Batcave, a subplot involving a red diary of the Wayne family, that's interesting, which sees Kilmer and Kidman's characters interacting more, and Bruce delving more into his psyche, including a dream sequence involving a massive bat. So some of this has been talked about already. Some of it hasn't, but Akiva Goldsman coming out saying he's seen it 
is a real interesting step forward on this. So, gentlemen, a, what are your thoughts on a on a Schumacher cut um, uh, essentially being pushed here by Akiba Goldsman? And two, would you want to see it? And three, would this be a great way for people to reappreciate Joel Schumacher? Because I think Akiba is right. He passed, but a lot of people didn't give him tributes on the high end because they don't like his two Batman movies that came after Tim Burton. So, gentlemen, your thoughts? Uh, You know, uh, he he was a great 80s filmmaker. Like, he he had some really, really good movies. He directed St. Elmo's Fire. He directed The Lost Boys. He directed Flatliners in 91. Um, so, you know, it, I, I do think it's, it, it's, uh, a shame that he kind of gets, you know, demonized because of the two Batman movies, because he actually does have a significant body of work that is really, really good. Tigerland, where, you know, Colin Farrell, that's where Colin Farrell was, uh, discovered. I mean, yeah. you know, he, he, he's done some really, really good work. Do I think that the Schumacher cut of Batman Forever is the best way to sort of memorialize him? Not really. I mean, even the things like they talked about that, what what was it 35 percent more uh psychorealism the things that you just mentioned two of those have nothing to do with psychorealism it's action i mean the original opening of that movie was arkham asylum like i think that's pretty well documented and you find uh the the, the doctor who uh renee aubergenois um who plays the, the 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 psychiatric doctor? He comes in, and you see that whoever, wherever Two Face was supposed to be, it's now someone else in a straight jacket. Like that's how he was able to escape. I mean, that's really the only thing, as far as I know, um, that that's the difference. Um, you could, I mean, maybe it would have made Bruce Wayne's story a little more interesting. I mean, it, it, Batman Forever is very much like a mid '90s movie. Um, I don't know if any more psychorealism is going to balance, you know, Jim Carrey uh, acting, you know, for the rafters with Tommy Lee Jones with a hot pink face trying to play catch up. Um, I, I like I, with anything like this, I would be interested in seeing it. Um, do I think it's the best way to memorialize Joel Schumacher? No. You're muted. You're muted. There was some drilling. So yeah, there was, sorry, there was some drilling there. So yeah, the, the uh, Schumacher cut had, or the Schumacher defenders have been saying for years, for decades, that the studio came in and made him direct the films in this way. It really blunted his work as an artist. Would this be a way to kind of maybe push back on this a mm-hmm. little bit and get a little restitution for it? I mean, does yeah. the rest of the movie still exist? <laughs> I would imagine so. Then I don't know that it does. I mean, look, it is. They're not wrong in that. This what they're right about is that look, in a vacuum of not Tim Burton's Batman Returns having come out and none of that had existed, maybe Schumacher would have given us a different Batman. Yeah. And it is true that Warner Brothers was pretty clear on the direction of this Batman Returns thing was way too dark. It's not what we wanted. Yeah. Go do something more fun. And to Schumacher's credit, that's what he did. Yeah. Um. I don't think that 35% more of what we already got is going to make it better. I am sure maybe it's a little bit darker. Maybe it's a little bit heavier. Maybe it's the stuff that test audiences weren't feeling and Schumacher really wishes they kept it in. But I I don't think there's really any saving that movie. Like I, I don't, I don't know that, you know, in the big scheme of we, when we rank all the Batman movies and we debate, 
Tim Burton stuff versus Nolan stuff versus Reeves stuff versus yeah. this, you know, like sure. there's a whole argument to be made for all you know, for Burton, for Reeves, uh, for Nolan, for Bruce, Tim, like there's a, there's a bunch of different versions of like, what's the best of the Batman. And I don't think that Schumacher ever is in the top of that conversation. Even if you grew up liking the Schumacher movies, mm -hmm. um, because you were, very 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 young um but you know like even if you grew up liking those movies and said they're fun they're not in the same ballpark so yeah as a curiosity as a geeky curiosity to see what was cut and what else was in there and how did it fit into the movie but in just even the opening of uh two-face escaping arkham knowing what tommy lee jones performance as two-face was i don't need to see more of it i don't like what i've seen of it so far I'm getting out of here. <laughs> yeah, I, I hear you. I, I, mean, I don't know. I, I I mean, like a lot of people weren't sure that Snyder Cut would turn out well, and it did. He got to edit it himself. But I think that's the difference. Schumacher's not around anymore. And, you know, this is like when they re-edited Magnificent Ambersons for Orson Welles. And it was like, well, we followed his, uh, you know, his, his uh, notes and re-edited the film to what he would, or Touch of Evil when they re-edited the beginning, which actually worked. But I think the overall thing for me is that Schumacher's no longer around. And I think you'd have to have him around to be able to edit the film the way he wants. Maybe he cuts some of that other stuff and maybe the studio made him shoot the scenes like that and told him, you got to make him, you got to go this direction. Because there is a darker performance in what Jim Carrey is doing. And certainly the way he ends up with the face all melted and uh, like that, if you don't have the stupid moment in the in the prison cell with him flapping his arms and stuff, you cut that and you make something darker. There are possibilities here that there are scenes from that 35% that could change the tone of the movie so much so that you might reappreciate what Joel Schumacher's initial intention with the film is going to be. That being said, you're right. There's large chunks of the movie guys where it's like, it's ridiculous. They clearly hated each other. So that affected what was going on on screen. Tommy Lee Jones and Jim Carrey. I mean, uh, and there are multiple stories from both of them uh, that you can read and, and see on video them telling the story about it. So like there, there's those kinds of things you don't solve in the long run. And to be honest with you, the Kidman Kilmer chemistry was kind of wet. It wasn't great. It wasn't strong. It wasn't like really <laughs> intense. Um, and so I think that there's no saving that necessarily. So we'd have to see what that would well, be like down the road. But I, I think I, we're I'd be down for it. I just don't know if it necessarily would lead to a reappreciation of Joel Schumacher. But I think we're living in this post Snyder's Justice League universe where now these cuts are supposed to prove a point. Like, oh, yeah, I'm going to yeah. show you that they were right and this, the man, like there's this whole argument like, that happened in yeah. like, in the, in the big scheme of everything, like one of the things you learn when you go to art school is one of the most important things you can do as an artist is knowing when to stop. Like yeah. you're painting, you're working on something. Like any work of art can always be unfinished yeah. you can always like work a little bit further on that epic piece of music you can always paint a little bit more you can put a little bit more oil up on the canvas you can yeah. reshoot and recut and re-edit and do everything with your movie but in the big scheme of things like look even though i think some of what george lucas did in his special editions is good and i think mm -hmm. a lot of it is not i think most people would be just as happy to just have the original star wars movies you know, like, 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 I don't think we needed to go in and make all those changes. I think, I think Zack Snyder's Justice League is absolutely better than yeah. Joss Whedon's Justice League, but 
now we just have two Justice Leagues that everybody argues about. You know, like, yeah. I mean, even like, I, I think that the Batman versus Superman uncut edition is sure marginally better than what we saw on screen, but it does, you know, it's like we can continue to do this forever. It doesn't necessarily change anything. So to your point, I'd rather see a Batman forever documentary made. Ooh. Like get everybody in there and show me how fucking crazy the making of that thing was like have Tommy Lee Jones and Jim Carrey talk about how they don't like each other. <laughs> talk about how Joel Schumacher was forced to do this thing and show me some of the uncut footage of the dream sequence with the giant bat or something in terms of like, this is some of the stuff that Schumacher wanted to do. I'd be way more invested in watching a documentary about how this crazy movie happened post Batman returns than I would be about seeing a cut and going, okay, yeah, that's fine. Yeah, yeah, fair point. I, I'd be down with the documentary. It'd be fun. Um, uh, Shannon, any final thoughts on this before we roll? Uh, the documentaries about making of films, I I love. Yeah. I would absolutely be. I want to see the documentary of Batman and Robin. <sighs> you know, do you know what we really need? Because I love I on Netflix. I love the movies that made us. I think every single oh, one of these yeah. is fascinating. Yeah, I think yeah, we yeah. really need to do a companion series: the movies that burned us, <laughs> like <laughs> the movies that hurt us. The movies sure, that hurt us, like, like, yeah. like, like, you know, like, like, like watching yeah. how, how Dirty Dancing or Pretty Woman or Jurassic Park or Ghostbusters got yeah. made is great because you're like, I love this movie. It's one of the most important movies to me and seeing how it almost didn't happen and all the different things like that's great. Yeah. But showing me a Batman Forever or a Batman and Robin or an Ishtar or, you know, like, give me, give me the bad stuff. Yeah. Show me the biggest yeah. bombs and go this should have been good. How did we get here? Like I'm in, I'd watch that. I'd watch that series in a minute. Anybody okay, but, Netflix listening to this, go take it, over, take it. Take okay. It. So, so before we close, you get yeah. to pick one movie for the movies that hurt us. What do you pick? That's tough. Spider-Man three. That's a okay. good one. Right. That's a good one. Cause I mean, we were on the ascendancy with Spider-Man and that film stopped it all for a while. Shannon, what's yours? Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Oh, great choice. Uh, great choice. Uh, I would either choose Superman Returns. Oh, really? Mm -hmm. okay. Or the live-action Super Mario Brothers movie with Bob Hoskins and John Leguizamo. <laughs> oh, that's where you got to put your money. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that would be a hell of an experience for sure. Um, all right, well, there you go. That's our uh, first three topics here. We're going to take a quick break, and then we're going to jump into our main of main topic here, talking about these out-of-control movie budgets, uh, the low box office returns, and what it might mean for the future of movies here uh, in the immediate future going forward. We'll be right back right after this. We're out of money. <laughs> we're out of money. All the films we make in bomb, but we're still corporations who have billions Ooh, like i was get there. the slide whistle <laughs> you need to keep it in position so you know it's always the down <laughs> i know i missed it that time you're giving me hope that i'm like oh you liked it no you didn't there you go there you go <laughs> i got one of those um, yeah, so let's get into this. So uh, fresh on the heels of uh, Indiana 5, currently not doing well in the box office, even though 
the first three week, first three days of this week, uh, a number of showings were sold out in my area for Indiana Jones Five. It is still not tracking well in terms of the box office, in terms of legs and what have you. So, and we're about to get into the meat of a lot of these films now with Mission Impossible Seven coming out, Barbie coming out, Oppenheimer coming out here over the next few weeks. So, July looks like it is moving on without Indiana for the most part. But this is starting to become something that people are talking about because we've just had Elemental not do well at the box office as well. I mean, because Indiana Jones had a $300 million budget and only opened it in the lower end of the 55 to $60 million range. And then you had something like uh, Fast X, which came out and it spent $340 million plus $100 million on its marketing. And it only made $726 million globally which was uh, down considerably from the $1.2 billion that The Fate of the Furious made overall as well. So we're seeing a number of these budgets go really high for uh, these films and then not have the return that they were anticipating the studios. And on the counter side, you've got smaller films like Prey, smaller films like John Wick 4 that are making a lot of money. John Wick 4, I think it was $100 million was the budget total but it made so much more than that. So, uh, and I've got more figures to throw in as we talk about this. But and look at Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse right now is 566 million globally and was only 100 million dollars to make. So there's the positive stuff that's going on in these smaller budgeted films. Have we hit the breaking point of the massive spending on blockbuster films on potential blockbuster films uh, here from studios? And are we looking at a dip now? We got a writer's strike, got an actor's strike. The DGA signed their their agreement, but we can't do shit without writers and direct and actors. So, are we hitting the point now where studios are going to start turning the budgets down, turning the salaries down, and start looking at cheaper ways to make these films and put them out, and then occasionally maybe taking a chance on the bigger blockbuster film? Are we done with majority tentpole pictures, uh, even though they've been the higher earners over the last few years? Gentlemen, what do you think? No, Mr. McClung, please. Well, yeah, yeah, Shannon, please. <laughs> well, I got to go first. Um, <laughs> you know what? Uh, you know, when you look at what Indiana Jones did, it, it's opening box office, and, you know, they compared it to the last Mission Impossible and the last Bond movie. But then you also look at how much more Indiana Jones cost. Um, probably. <laughs> oh, I, I think that. there probably is going to be some some belt tightening. Is that is that going to go across, you know, a, you know across the spectrum of films? Uh, you know, I think Marvel, they're still going to spend, Marvel's still going to spend a lot of money. Yeah. Um, I, I, I think, and I don't know if this is an Iger thing, but there probably will be a closer examination of things before something goes into production to be like, okay, is this what we're doing? <laughs> because the last time you spent, you know, we got rid of whole sequences and, you know, we spent all this money on reshoots and, uh, you know, effects work up until the last minute. I, I think there will probably be, a closer examination of things. Um, but also, I mean, studios are starting to, to discover that IP is not ironclad. Like if, if an audience is just not that into a movie, they're not that into a movie. I mean, I'll be curious. I mean, personally to see how, see what the legs on Indiana Jones are. Cause I do think it is a, you know, vast improvement yeah. over kingdom of the crystal skull, but I also think it's a good movie. Um, I'll be curious if it has the legs that I certainly want it to have just because I have an affection for Harrison Ford and for that character. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think 
with Marvel in particular, I think they might look at like a quantum mania yeah. and be like, was this franchise, this, this arm of our franchise that in the past has been a little smaller. Was it the best decision to kind of blow it out and make what we got? Maybe right. not. Maybe, maybe like, you know, we've kind of established what the world of Ant-Man is. Let's keep it in that world. Um, but in terms of like, you know, the, the, with most big action movies, the, the, the huge third act battle that can often descend into kind of, you know, CGI uh, uh, madness. Um, I think audiences are just kind of starting to tire of it. I mean, when you yeah. hear, not like us, not like when we talk, but when you hear regular moviegoers who aren't, who aren't involved in the industry, when it, when you start to hear the same thing from them over and over and over again, like, yeah, the end, it just is this, it's just this kind of, you know, computer video gamey looking mess. Yeah. I think that's when you know you have a problem and that going forward, uh, yeah, I mean, looking at, I'm mean, with like with fast, I mean, I know you're a fast and furious, fan, I am, John, I but, but for me, it's like, oh, we all finally uh, woke up. Yeah. These are awful. <laughs> um, <Yeah>. but, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, I think, I think going forward, there will just be a closer examination of, of the things that they choose to move forward and, and what they choose to spend that much money on because, uh, you know, this if this is a sea change that they decide to make, we're not going to see it for about a year, probably, because everything yeah. that's coming out next year, they've probably already uh, those troops are in the field. And right. so, you know, and sometimes th those reshoots, they really help. Uh, and so if we get a bunch of movies like, oh, if they just done this, if they just done that, that could be a possible uh, that could be uh, some fallout from this. Yeah, um, let's throw some numbers out here, Michael, before you respond. The top 10 movies accounted for 55% of the domestic box office last year, compared with an, the average of 36% from 2015 to 2019. That's according to Cohen and Company, their analysts, they issued that report. And looking at budgets, just 14 movies released in theaters last year in 2022 cost more than $100 million, but they took up 55 55%. Of the U.S. Canada ticket sales, and when you look at Cocaine Bear and Eighty for Brady, they've been successful targeting specific audiences. So a lot of people are talking about burnout. Like when you look at Pixar, a lot of people think, "Well, these these are original ideas, but no one's gravitating them to them for some reason." Uh, we see these multiple films coming out from these big franchises, but they're not connecting with people. I mean, Flash was a super shock that it crashed as hard as it did, and DC fans didn't come out and try to uplift it like they did other dc films especially in the snyderverse there was not that kind of reaction to uplift that film so what do you think is happening here what do you think is the lesson that might be coming in and don't rule out ai don't rule out that being the cheaper route the studios might be looking at or are clearly looking <clears throat> at to kind of drive down budgets as well what are your thoughts on all of I think there's a lot there's there's a lot to unpack there but I think first of all what we're what we're, I think what we're kind of seeing is <clears throat> the end result of the it's the end of the gold rush for uh cinematic universes and requels and that doesn't oh. mean those things aren't good and we're not going to continue to see them but right, the right. issue that happened is we just went through this era where Marvel came out and I mean it's been a long era it's been a while yeah, yeah. but like they came out with this cinematic universe Hey guys, right. our movies are connected. There's an end credit sequence. None of us had ever seen anything like that before. That's fucking awesome. And they ran with it. Then DC came up behind them and said, we've got a cinematic universe too, but they were kind of like, 
they were kind of like your weird cousin that was always trying to catch up with you, but just kept tripping <laughs> and falling behind you on the sidewalk and scrape. Like they never quite got there in the first, they had some, they had some highs and some lows and we yeah. were all excited about cinematic universes. And then star Wars is kind of this requel cinematic universe. Like it's yeah, like, yeah. we're taking, we're, we're building out our universe again. We have a new generation. We've got the old cast coming in. And so we were all really into it. We star Wars is back. We're excited. So all of that stuff is going on in within all that time. Jurassic world comes out. Hey guys, they finally opened the park. It's all the stuff you loved, but better. And there was this period of time where it was so much fun to see the stuff that had never quite landed. And we got to see it new and fresh, but a lot of it never, a lot of it didn't ultimately deliver. Like, we can argue last uh, Last Jedi all day. Most people don't think Rise of Skywalker stuck the landing. No. Jurassic World made a ton of money. That was a serious law of diminishing returns. Yeah. And even the Fast and the Furious movies, which kind of almost count as their own cinematic universe in the way that their box office works, um, you it's just like eventually you're like, okay, I get it. So, and particularly with Marvel, like what happened, this is to the budget of it all. When you When Iron Man 3 came out after Avengers... Iron Man 3's box office opening weekend did not match a movie that came out after Iron Man 2. Yeah. It matched a movie that came out after Avengers. Like Avengers was a mega movie and all of the single hits, like the Iron Man 3s and the stuff that came out after that, that should have been a little bit lower. People just kept going. They were excited. We were all in that Marvel Cinematic Universe. I got to see everything thing. And so we went through this thing where it just seemed like if you just kept feeding the machine, we were going to keep coming. And so budgets got bigger and budgets got bigger. I mean, look at like Captain America to Winter Soldier to Civil War. Yeah. You know, just as the Captain America movie. So, you know, there was this thing. And like, I think what we're reaching now, when we talk about our people over superhero movies or do people not want to go to the movie theaters anymore? Like none of that's true. Yeah. But what is true is the things that we thought were exciting aren't as exciting to us anymore. And that's to the Pixar and DreamWorks of it all, too, because it's not just Elemental. Um, that Ruby Gilman Teenage Kraken was the yeah. worst opening for DreamWorks ever. So yeah. Pixar and DreamWorks both had their both, their worth, their worst openings. And I think it's just it's not that either of those movies is the worst movie that DreamWorks or Pixar has ever made. Right. But it's not it looks like another Pixar movie. Even when you saw the trailer for uh, Ao or Eo yeah. or whatever it is, uh, Elio, Elio. Um, it's cute. It looks great. But we know that Pixar is going to give us a really beautiful looking movie with some funny quips and cool characters that do funky. Mm. Like, it's not new. And so yeah. when you look at what people are gravitating to, yeah. when you look at the Across the Spider, Across the Spider-Verse, it's Spider-Man. Yes. He's not new. But the way that that movie does things is something we've never seen before. Yeah. Um, when you look at the excitement for Barbie which I yeah. think is going to have a massive opening weekend. Yeah. yeah, Barbie is doing things that we have not seen. Whoever thought any of us would be excited for Barbie. So there is an excitement about just being excited. I mean, you look at everything everywhere all at once. Yeah. It certainly wasn't the first multiverse movie to come out, but it did multiverse, uh, a full Asian cast of characters, you know, Rakakuni. Like it was just so weird and everybody yeah. was talking about it. So I think what we're seeing is for Star Wars, for fast, for these big movie franchises that people were banking on, it's not new. And then yeah. you get to Dial of Destiny, and look, I sadly missed out on our spoiler review, which I would have had a ton of fun um, talking about. <laughs> but look, I agree with you, and I agree with Shannon. Uh, as someone who grew up loving Indiana Jones, I had a great time. I think it's a good movie. Yeah. 
what's new about it? That, well, it's a it's a solid hit. Like James Mangold, and I mean this as a Maybe compliment. Wall of Bridge would be the new thing, right? Sure, but yeah. the the older the older male star from a classic franchise hmm. having a younger female character that he's showing the ropes and having fun with, not new anymore. Okay, we've seen it multiple times. Right. Um. And and that's not for me to say that I think the whole like having a younger female character is bad like half of right, Twitter right. does. Yeah. I think that's a perfectly valid having the older character having a new hero come in. But even the Phoebe Waller-Bridge, who I think Helen is a great character. Again, this is no criticism. Yeah. And I think what James Mangold does, and I do mean this as a compliment, he does his best Steven Spielberg impersonation that he can. Yeah, yeah. Like, like Dial of Destiny feels like a Spielberg movie in a way that Crystal Skull, which was directed by Spielberg, does not. Yeah. Um, and so I think that Dial of Destiny, if you grew up loving Indiana Jones, it feels great. Yeah. But it's not new. It's nobody's coming out of Dial of Destiny, even all of us who enjoyed it and going, oh my God, I never thought I would see Indi Like, think of Last Crusade, which is the last best Indiana Jones movie. Indiana Jones has a dad, guys. Yeah. And it's James fucking Bond. Yeah. That's why everybody was excited. So I think you know we're we're living in this era right now where Marvel, DC, Fast and the Furious, Jurassic Park, all of these big Harry Potter, they think that oh, these people are in love with the franchise and they're going to show up and support. Yeah. And what I think we're seeing is no, we love these franchises, but we like it when you do something new with it, don't just give us the same shit over and over again. And I think yeah. Look, I'm ex I'm as excited about anybody as Ahsoka, uh, for Ahsoka to come out and to see what Filoni does with his Star Wars movie and Thrawn coming back. But if it's not new, yeah. So I think that's where we're at right now. <laughs> Fair enough. I mean, look at this. I'm gonna read right now. Um, looking at some and uh, some of the analysts have been saying that over the last eight studio releases, uh, Disney company nearly nine hundred million dollars in losses. And that may be what's leading to some of these um, uh, firings and some of these reorganizations. Um, the CFO, uh, what I think CFO, she was uh, went on medical leave, and they and essentially they replaced her or looking for their replacement in the situation. Yeah, look at it: Lightyear, Thor: Love and Thunder, Strange World, Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, Ant Man and Wasp, Quantum Mini, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Three, and The Little Mermaid, and Elemental. Those are uh, what they um, uh, what is accounting for the nine hundred million dollars in losses from Disney. Um, and in the quarter in quarter four of this year, their streaming business and that was uh, last year lost an eye watering one point five billion, uh, which is way more than the six hundred thirty million that it lost in the same year. Yeah, four. So this has been a trend that's been continuing. And look, I know we don't like to get political on the show, but I don't think you can exclude some of the messaging that's been going on from the right about Disney and the woke stuff and telling these kinds of stories and whatever they went after Indiana Jones last crusade for that with Phoebe Waller bridge. Like a lot of these people were upset that Phoebe Waller bridge knocked out Indiana Jones in the movie without even having seen in the movie, just reading that fact, they were upset that a woman would knock out one of their icons. Right. We saw them go after Elemental. We saw them go after uh, these other uh, Pixar films as well over the last year and a half or so. And look, 75 million people voted a certain way and hundreds of millions of people watch those networks and read those 
uh, websites and read the red programming. And I think that's affecting Disney's bottom line. I was reading an article yesterday about some of these theater, high-end theater schools in the South who are being protested by the parents of the children who go there to not do certain plays because there's cross-dressing or because it has woke ideology. So I don't think that can be like cut out of this whole situation because Disney used to strive for four quadrants and right now it's really two. I, I don't think it, I don't think it, I don't think it can be cut out, but it gets really messy because like, like use little mermaid as an example. Mm. Absolutely. There is a, there was a, there was a faction of moviegoers who don't want to go see a movie that has a black aerial. Like right. you can't to say that that's not true would be like just dumb. Like we all yeah. know the world we live in. We all get on social media every day. We know that yeah. that's true. But also, Little Mermaid's not great. Like the live action Little Mermaid's not great. Neither was like, the live action Lion King, and it made one point six billion. I was sitting next to you. You listen. I hate the Lion King remake for sure. Yeah. Uh, it worked for people. It's yeah. the same as Shannon as the Fast and the Furious movies. I, I get that. And so you're not wrong. That's why I'm saying I'm, I'm not yeah. disagreeing with you, but I think yeah, it's yeah. a hard thing because it's I also think it's hard to I also think that, you know, as we've been talking about and we've talked about this with the we talked about this in our Little Mermaid spoiler review. And yeah. it underscores what I was just saying, which is if you're going to do a live action remake, give me something new, like give me something yeah. different. And I don't think that the Disney live action movies for the for the most part do that. And so the lack of interest I'm reticent to say it's completely a politicized wokeness no, no, no. issue. But I think it's an element. Right. But yeah. it might but it might be an element to it. But you know at the yeah. same time and and again, it's it's not exactly comparing the same, you know, it's not apples to apples, but Miles Morales is a black Spider-Man. Yeah, true, true, true. We have a multicultural cast of spider people. Right. We spend time in Mumbatton. Um, you know, we we do a whole lot in yeah. the Across the Spider-Verse movies, and it doesn't seem to be affecting that box office. But if Miles Morales goes live action and replaces a white Peter Parker in the movie, will maybe, that be yeah, something? You might that maybe maybe that'll be a thing. I don't know. Yeah. I can't because you know, that, that is a completely with... valid. Yeah, you're I I don't think you're wrong, and I'm not gonna say that that's not a piece of it. Um yeah. Yeah. but I but I do think, and maybe this is me being naive for sure. Um, but I think when you are super original and you get people talking, um, you overcome that. Everything everywhere all at once is a complete Asian yeah. cast. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. it just tore everything up, you know? And I and I think that that's even when you think back through movie, like think about Disney back in the day, um, making their movies and like, you know, a, a black cauldron came out, almost broke the studio. Right. It right. wasn't until Howard Ashman and Alan Menken came in and kind of put their stamp on things and Little Mermaid yeah. came out and everyone was like, Holy shit. This movie's right. good. Course, and everybody's hot. I think you can really just track through the movies that we love. And you think about the way that certain movies come out and they get people talking. Yeah. Uh, the same is true for TV shows right now, too. You know, you can tell. I hear people. Uh, I'm not saying it's the best show ever or not, but I will tell you that everywhere I go, I hear people talking about Silo on Apple Plus. Yes, true. Yeah. yeah. Rebecca, it's a really talked so. about show. Yeah. And it's when you just hear that coming up and up and again from people. And so you can kind of hear it. Little Mermaid came and went. And I just don't really hear a lot of people talking about it. Yeah. Um, but I, everyone is, everywhere I go, people are talking about Barbie. Yes. Well, but that's a white lead, right? You could argue that could be a reason why they're doing that. But even though it's a multicultural cast, right? We've seen that sure. Issa Rae, you know, America Ferreira, we're certainly getting a number of people of color in the film as well. Uh, Simu Lu. So, yeah. So, what do you what do you think, Shannon? Do you think um, do you think there are multiple reasons for what's going on here? Do you think the studios are going to start now maybe 
trimming down the budgets, looking at maybe some middle of the middle budget fare that they would have normally ignored to try to maybe take advantage or lower budget fare? Well, that middle budget fare, that has a lot of that has gone to streaming television. Right. I mean, right. And, and that's a lot of those creatives who are being given um, kind of the narrative freedom yeah. to yeah. do more things. And that's not to say that like Netflix or Apple, whoever, like they, you know, they don't have the development executives and current executives that they have right. to report to. Like those people, yeah, they're, they're going to weigh in. Yeah. But when they're, it's just kind of it's just kind of a different animal. I mean, it'll be interesting to see if we can get like a big lower budgeted comedy. Like yeah. my wife and I, we went and saw No Hard Feelings the other day. Oh yeah, and um, you know there were some funny moments in it. Sure. But like, is that the movie that you know was going to kind of reintroduce audiences to you know comedies in the theater? Like, no, <laughs> it wasn't. I mean, whenever I think about. You know, you think about those big moments in cinema history, like when you think about when Avengers Endgame came out and the the palpable energy in that theater. It's like, God, I didn't think we were going to see this again. Like the last time I feel like we really felt this, um, like in terms of a conclusion for me was uh, Return of the King. I was like, you know, the, oh, yeah. the, uh, the energy in that theater of, you know, the conclusion of this story. I was like, God, OK, so now this is done. What's going to be next? And it was... Uh, it, the next thing had come just a few months before with Pirates of the Caribbean. Yeah. Um, like no one, like everyone's kind of waiting for that next thing. And seeing as how studios have kind of raided their vaults for anything that they can make in terms of IP, maybe it's time that they kind of give a, an original idea the backing that that idea deserves. That's not yeah. to say there's not original ideas in theater. There are, yeah, there are, but yeah. well, but but, even, but like a but you know a big one, like well, one where they really get behind it. But even I think you know I think original idea can apply to an individual movie, but it can also apply to a um, the overall creative direction of a studio. Yeah, an approach. So I yeah, think yeah, I yeah. think look, Elemental's original. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Ruby Gilman, Teenage Kraken is based on a novel, I believe, but it's an original movie. Nobody went. If Pixar yeah. came out with an adult, and I don't mean adult like rated R, but I mean like a an older, like grittier, darker take on Pixar, and everybody was like, Pixar just did something super different, I think people would be talking. Yeah. And it could, and it doesn't have to be that per se, but it could be something different. I think that there's just a kind of a sameness to certain things that people are perfectly happy to tune into on streaming. Yeah. Yeah. That's I been, think that yeah, it's been the biggest mistake with them announcing right after a film comes out. It'll be on digital in 3 weeks. It'll be on digital in a week. It'll be, like Rocky, I mean, uh, Creed 3 going showing up on Prime Video like a month and a half after like that was mind-blowing. And I think that's affecting the box office as well oh. in, in some small ways or in big i mean I, that i mean that is kind of what happened with like the, what was it the last three pixar movies before yeah. Lightyear came yeah. out and granted covid was a was one of the reasons um but yeah i mean people kind of got into this pattern of it'll be out soon so it it has to be you know it has to be something really really special to get people out into yeah. the theaters and, you know, as, Vo as Vogel already said, you know, the, the thing that gets people talking like right. across the spider verse that got people talking. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, all right. Well, there you go. That's our thoughts on all that's going on there. And we'll see what happens. Cause I mean, studios are going to have to react in some way. And certainly with the writer strike continuing the uh, actor strike pending until July 12th talks are resuming until July 12th. 
Uh, anything can happen. And of course, we've got a Comic-Con that the three of us are going to be at. Um, and we'll see who shows up. Uh, we, they've announced some panels. Uh, Hall H is looking fun, but also not nearly as powerful as it has been in the past. And is that going to affect things? Disney just announced their D23 stuff. So will that be a place where they kind of highlight and, and, and promote some stuff that's coming up? We shall see. But it's an interesting time right now. Uh, and I think moviegoers are mo- are voting with their wallets uh, about the stuff they want to see. And I, I'm going to throw this in right at the end. But like we've seen six to seven diversity coordinators leave studio and streaming studio positions over the last two weeks. And I wonder if maybe the studios are seeing like this ideology that we went in and we know it's the right way to go isn't leading to business. And if that's the approach. Don't be surprised if we start seeing these studios and these streaming services start to pull back on the diversity and focus more on on bringing white people back to lead their stuff, uh, male or female. Don't be surprised if you see that. doesn't mean there won't be diversity in the cast, but certainly it'll be interesting to see how that affects things over the next few years on the budgets and the um, movies being approved and the box office as well. I don't know. But I also think that that will be interesting to track. And I also think the other thing to look at, and I think this is where this Comic-Con could be a really interesting Comic-Con, is that uh, maybe it's okay that all the heavy hitters aren't there. Yeah, yeah. Maybe it's okay that Marvel's not showing up and we don't have a giant Star Wars thing. Because you know what? There are some really good original ideas out there. Yes. There's the next Daniels. There's the next, uh, you know, there's the next... um, anybody i don't know why the daniel's sure. the only one that oh god right <laughs> you're not making a good point right now <laughs> um well but no but that's my point is there's there's the next there's the next yeah. greta gerwig you know there's the next sure. somebody who's going to come along and do something there's the next christopher nolan who's going to come on and have some show on streaming or some movie come out that is out of left field that we're not expecting and it's not tied to a cinematic universe and it's not tied to a galaxy far far away and as i love all those things so i still yeah. want to see more of those things but there is a there's that there's I've never seen this before vibe yeah, that yeah. we are missing. And that's what I, I think is the biggest problem that we have right now. And I, and I do want to do a quick plug uh, for an interview I have with Scott Mance. It's up on the channel right now. It was he's promoting his series, which starts tomorrow night on the CW 8 p.m. PT, I think. It's called uh, 1982, The Greatest Geek Year Ever, and it's highlighting a lot of original films that came out that were massive box office uh, successes and some disappointments, but still echoing into 2023. So it's a great conversation. And that series, if you're a fan of those films from 1982, I cannot recommend that four-part series enough. It is fantastic. And the conversation I had with Scott, who's so knowledgeable about that year, is one of the producers of the show, I think is something you all will enjoy to kind of reinvigorate your love of movies and why uh, we are dealing with franchise stuff and the struggles with it right now as well. So, um, all right, well, there you go. That was the final plug I had to throw in there for that series. So thank you all so much for joining us here on the Geek Buddies. We appreciate it madly. Shannon, what do we have to tell them? Yeah, if you'd like to follow us on social media, on Twitter, it's at Geek underscore Buddies. On Instagram, at the underscore Geek underscore Buddies. If you'd like to follow me on social media, on Twitter, it's at Shannon underscore McClung. On Instagram, at Shannon the Geek Buddy. If you would like to follow Mr. Vogel, it is at MKToon. If you would like to follow Mr. Roca, it is at the Roca Says. Mikey? 
Uh, well, if you enjoyed this conversation and you like Doctor Strange, you like the Schumacher cut of Batman Forever, and you want to know why movies are failing, we are clearly the place that you want to have those conversations. Um, so here's what you can do for us. You can smash that like button below, subscribe to Johnny's Outlaw Nation page, leave your comments below, let us know what you thought about what we talked about today. If you're listening to us on podcast, go ahead and leave us some stars and some comments so we go up in the rankings. And as always, the best thing that you guys can do is retweet this video, post it on your socials, send it to your friends, and and tell them to hang out with your buddies, the Geek Buddies. There you go. Thank you all so much. We appreciate it madly. You all have yourselves a good weekend. And look, look for our review of Star Trek Strange New Worlds coming out tomorrow. And we'll talk to you next time with another brand new episode here of the Geek Buddies. <gasps> hey! Every five minutes, a transplant candidate dies while waiting for a compatible heart, liver, or kidney. Imagine a technology that could provide those life-saving transplant organs for a high price and imagine what a company would do to monopolize that technology. On a remote island in Lake Superior, a team of geneticists unlocks this holy grail of medicine by reverse engineering the genomes of all mammals, creating an animal with organs perfectly suitable for human transplantation. They envisioned a docile herd animal, but one team member had another, darker vision. This ancestor is anything but docile. The team's work spawns something big, something evil, something very, very hungry. Ancestor is a complete serialized fiction podcast by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler with all episodes available. Binge the entire story now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts.